Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 10, Episode 22. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing five tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Kyle Harrison, about fiery flora, in-flight insanity, tortuous texts, conjugal calamities, and cryptic communications. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) 
ever found yourself in a situation where it seems like things aren't quite lining up? You think you have something all sorted out, and then bam! It's like what you thought you saw doesn't make sense anymore. Well, put yourself in the shoes of Nate. In the first story this evening from Kyle Harrison, who's come to examine a mysterious fire at a watch station. But something about the way it happened and why just doesn't seem to be adding up. Until he begins to see things that suggest this fire isn't just a normal phenomenon. Without further ado, I present to you Desolation at Sentinel Peak. Plane cropped over the horizon. The endless woods meandering and covering every inch of land for miles around the forested area, effectively isolating it from the rest of the earth by mountains on all sides. Within the bowl-shaped valley of greenery, it was easy to spot where we were headed. The blackened towers stood out like an altar of ash amid the lush firs. As we got closer, a memory flashed in my head about the conversation I had with Chief Forest Officer Vince Westley only the day before in Ontario. The incident happened over the winter break. A couple of blokes from Cali came in to do the watchman duty for some extra bucks. Probably needed the cash for the holidays, and heaven's sakes, you know, we've been so short-handed lately, Nate. It's not like I had a choice. I figured they'd basically be holed up in that tower for a couple of weeks with nothing to do but whack off and smoke weed or whatever. They seemed harmless, he told me. So then what happened? I remember asking. Paul said it was arson. He thought it was an accident. I guess that's why they called me in, huh? The expert. I didn't bother telling him it had been about four years since I'd been involved in any official investigation like this. Truth be told, I was a little like those kids, eager for cash and down on my luck. Since this seemed like an open and shut case, I thought I'd be there for a day at the most. Slowly, we declined toward the south part of the lakeshore, the plane gliding gracefully across the top of the morning fog as I got a better look at the firewatch station. It surprised me to see how much of it was still standing. From this angle, at least half of the building looked like it was untouched, perhaps more. Built of steel and stone and a mix of cement and wood, it should have collapsed if the fire was as intense as Vince claimed it to be, especially if it started from within. As the seaplane came to a stop, I halted an officer coming to meet me. His smile was friendly, but a few bruises and a cast on his knee told me the old man hadn't had a very pleasant Christmas. You must be the inspector, Nathan, right? He said as he leaned on his good leg. Oh, just call me Nate. Sorry it took a little longer than expected to get here. Hard to find a pilot that wants to fly this time of year, I guess. I told him as I gathered my things. I hadn't packed much, again expecting this to be a short trip since the station itself was not much larger than an average two-bedroom cabin, not even a change of clothes. He told me that the place seems to have had bad mojo about it, and he hoped that my stay wouldn't be long. 
We stood there for an awkward moment while he peered up toward the stairwell that led to the main lookout, perhaps speculating what had happened. Then he clasped his hands together and helped with my backpack. Well, the tower wasn't going anywhere. Let me show you where you'll be staying, he said. The seaplane captain waved us off and then we were alone. As I watched its reflection disappear from the surface of the water, I realized just how alone out here we were. The valley seemed endless, the sky was so quiet, and the tower suddenly seemed a bit more imposing as I stood there at its feet. Have you been up there since it happened, I asked. Immediately he got skittish and told me that he didn't want to mess up the scene of the crime. Something about his reply left me wondering if he might be hiding something. I nodded absently, wondering why I had even considered he might have any information to give me. So I pulled my pack a little closer to me and followed him down a winding trail toward what looked like a small recreational vehicle. He said it was the best they could do given the circumstances. I wasn't complaining. I could tell that Sentinel Peak was a pretty lonely place, other than this lookout. Not much besides trees to look at, I thought. There were two small beds, a few cabinets, a mini-kitchen and toilet, and maybe enough food for a few days. I don't really think I'm going to be here that long. I told him as he offered me a cup of coffee. Paul told me that this was better than outside. Bears in these parts get hungry this time of year, since there's not much else in the area to eat. I get a little desperate, he commented. We both pulled up a chair, and I got the feeling that if I was going to get this investigation done, it would require that I cooperated with them. So, the bodies, will that attract bears too? I asked. There weren't any bodies, he told me, and he guessed that whoever did it would be hightailing it out of here after the deed was done. I thought they died in the accident, I said, recalling what Vincent told me. He said that if they did die... Then the fire ate them up. Then he changed it to say that maybe they went missing altogether. Honestly, his flip-flopping was mighty suspicious, if you ask me. Something about what he was telling me just didn't add up. So I decided to change the subject. You mentioned earlier not many people come here, right? So what's the lookout tower for? There's a lumber company a few miles east of here in the valley. Well, I guess there was one until a few years back. COVID didn't pass us by, and the company, well, fell into bankruptcy, he answered. So it's just sitting out there untouched? They leave all of their equipment behind? Well, that's what seems to happen around here. People come and try to make this area theirs, and Mother Nature fights back, pushes us back. I've often felt we weren't welcome here. There's a forest that doesn't want us here. It was the first extremely serious thing he'd said since I arrived. I sat there for an awkward moment as he stared at me stone-faced and then laughed almost uncontrollably. He didn't seem to be happy here either. I sighed and looked down at the coffee, realizing that I didn't really feel comfortable being here any longer than necessary. I think I'm going to go up to the lookout now, see what I can find out, I said as I stood up and stretched. He kept insisting that I wait, but I didn't want to. I needed answers, and this weirdo wasn't giving them. 
Maybe warm that up in about an hour. By then I should have this wrapped up, I said, as I walked out of the small mobile home. The air around me felt still, and I walked up the trail toward the tower, my imagination playing out what my might find. As I took a first step into the wooden stairwell, the entire lookout made a creaky noise, and I froze for a moment, wondering how secure this place was. It didn't look too unstable, but it didn't make me feel safe when every step I made caused more noise to resound through the valley. As I climbed above the tree line, it felt like I was going into the clouds, getting a chance to see the forest from a different view. Here at this level, it was an ocean of firs and pines, easy to get lost in, or drown in the endless green. The signs of the fire became evident when I made the next round of steps, some of them bent and warped by the flames. Then it got worse at the next level, completely turning to black ash as I reached the top. The door was barely on its hinges, the gentle breeze inviting me to go in and see what had occurred. I took out my smartphone to get a good bit of light as I saw the sun was beginning to set over the forest and went in. The smell of ash mixed with burnt flesh as my tiny light illuminated the distraction. It wasn't really a part of the small building that hadn't been completely burned up by the fire. Books and furniture were blackened or completely disintegrated. The metal chairs were melted and twisted, the computers broken, and leaning toward the center of the room. It seemed clear the fire had started there, near a small coffee table that once sat there. In its place now, there was a deep scar that seemed to infect the very ground. A dark black spot that spread out its tentacles in all directions. And yet... As I turned toward the other side of the fire watch, I realized that most of that side was untouched, as though the flames had mysteriously stopped when reaching a certain intensity. The couch was sitting there, looking toward the inferno, as though entertained by the immolation, and beyond it the kitchen looked perfectly intact. Why hadn't the volunteers simply used this as their exit strategy? I wondered... As I stepped toward the tiny restroom and saw where one of them had spent their final few moments, the corpse was darker than the starry night that was meshing with the old building, his body collapsed and hugging the toilet as though he had been vomiting. Yet the appearance of this body, now frozen by the after-effects of the inferno, didn't indicate that this man was hiding here and hoping to remain safe from the blaze. Instead, it told me that whatever had happened was swift so unexpected that they didn't even have time to protect their body as they'd been hurled into the portage on one last time. How is that possible? I've studied quick brush fires for most of my life in this job, and I'd never seen one burn so powerfully and so quickly, yet I couldn't seem to find any accelerant or a cause for the blaze itself. It was as though it had simply appeared out of nowhere. There was no second corpse in sight. Had the second man escaped and just decided to bolt? The fire was to be considered intentional, according to the brief report that Paul had given me, and his number one suspect was this missing man, I was sure. I need to find out more about them, I decided. I checked the kitchen for any evidence of using the back entrance to get out and climbed down. 
I knew not to prejudice the entire situation, but something wasn't adding up, and I felt like I was being lied to. I could think of many reasons why that would be, most of them involving money. I took pictures of the burnt office one more time and prepared to leave, resolving to get the truth from Paul that night. Another thing that was off was the entire vibe of the fire watch. I've always felt that when I visit the aftermath of an incident such as this, they're devoid of life. Yet as I left the empty building, I had this eerie feeling someone was watching me. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. There's a force that doesn't want us here, Paul had said. I had no idea if he was being serious, or if it was another part of this strange case. There were too many questions. I stopped midway down the tower to take a smoke and look out at the tree line. The sun was down now, and all I could make out were the dark outlines of the firs and cedars. Forest stretches out like an ocean here, and you can watch the wind ripple across the tops of these trees like gentle waves. But what I saw that night wasn't the wind. I was thinking about just forgetting this whole thing, signing the paper, calling it a night when I saw something move in the trees. Then I realized it was actually a tree itself. One of the dark cedars seemed to gently walk across the horizon as though it had legs. I fumbled and tried to make sure I wasn't seeing things. It was so dark I thought my eyes had to be playing tricks. So I ran up toward the tower to use the spotlight and get a better look. I angled the mighty metallic object trying to get a good idea of where the strange tree had disappeared to, and then turned it on. A long stream of light pierced the night. What I saw, I'm not sure I truly believe or understand. The tree looked like it had a face. Sharp bark contoured and opened into a hollow hole that formed a mouth with sharp edges of broken branches that were meant as teeth. Its body was wide as a house. Its legs were taller than a giraffe. They seemed to spread out and cover the ground, twisting and snagging the soil as it moved toward the fire watch. I heard a low, bellowing noise, like a grenade going off, then a sharp-pitched shriek. Immediately, I shut the spotlight off and I ran. I pushed down the stairs and toward the trail, running for Paul's trailer. As I got inside and slammed the door... His face was a look of confusion and amusement. Don't tell me you didn't hear that, I asked. He switched off his TV and shrugged. 
Eventually, all the woods start sounding the same. What did you see? He asked. It took a moment to recompose myself, and I stood up straight. Ah, it was just nothing. I'm tired, I told him. You look worse than that. Paul muttered as he offered me some food and grabbed a book. I was beginning to wonder what was taking you so long up there. It's early morning, he said. I found myself looking like a drunk girl at a frat house party, peeking through the blinds to be sure he was right. It felt like twenty minutes at the most, I whispered. Paul stood there for a moment, probably trying to decide if I'd lost my mind, before turning to brew his coffee. So, what was it like up there? He asked, munching on his breakfast. I sat down, still unsettled by all that I'd seen, and trying to make sense of it. Can you tell me more about the volunteers, I asked. I took up my recorder to be sure I didn't miss any of the details. He seemed surprised I was not taking things so seriously, but went ahead and obliged the request, speaking directly into the microphone. Well, they seemed like nice enough fellows. I never really bothered to get to know them. This time of year, I'm farther south, where we expect to see campers coming in for holidays. Like I said, no one really ever bothers with Sentinel Peak. It's almost forgotten entirely. So you weren't here when the fire happened, I guessed. I came to do a check on them. Volunteers are supposed to check in with the ranger's office on a semi-weekly basis, and they missed a couple of times. Rookie mistake, but I wanted to be sure. When I got over the ridge, I saw the smoke rising, and I called it in. Vince said you thought it was arsenal. Why would you jump to that conclusion, I asked. Well... I guess I should have brought it up earlier, but our park has been getting threats lately, he admitted. Threats? Like from tree huggers or something, I asked. Paul laughed but nodded as he sipped his coffee. Sentinel Peak's a relic, and they want it torn down. Let the forest grow up and push us out. To be honest, before this incident, I was really considering that. Let the ghosts have this place. Nature doesn't want us here anyway, he insisted. I recalled the strange things I'd seen only moments ago. When you say that, what do you mean? Has this Firewatch had issues in the past? I asked. This isn't the first time we've lost some volunteers. Vince didn't tell you that, did he? It's one of the main reasons we can't keep good folk. Everyone's scared they'll wind up disappearing, Paul joked. What do you mean? Have there been other incidents? Or not like this. But here and there, one of the volunteers will go missing from the firewatch. Their partner usually has to finish it up solo, although half of them pack up and leave. I would, too, if I was doing this all alone and my only help vanishes. When you say vanish, it makes it sound like they don't just grab a flight and go home. Are you saying these people are never seen again? Why haven't they been reported, I asked. Paul looked at me like I was joking, and he sighed before explaining. People go missing in the woods all the time. We don't have the budget to go search unless someone reports them. These folks that disappear? I guess no one cared. I put down the recorder, recalling I'd only seen one corpse in the firewatch. But something different happened this time. 
I commented as I looked out the window toward the burnt building. Paul, I need you to identify the body I found. Can you do that? Did you get a good look at these kids? He seemed surprised, but went along with it as he grabbed his coat, and we walked back toward the tower. My hope was, once we realized which body was in the tower, it could help us begin a search for the survivor, to determine if this was really arson or something else entirely, I thought as I unlatched the door. As we stepped in, I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. Paul held his mouth over his face as we closed the door back, and I took a second look at the devastation. Everything had changed. Unlike before, when I was looking at the front half of the building, now in the kitchen, everything was torched and destroyed. The living room and bathroom seemed unfazed. The body I'd encountered earlier was also missing. Instead, as we walked through the desiccated kitchen, we found a different corpse covered in ash, this one staring out the window, looking straight toward the trees that I'd seen moving only a few hours ago. They'd been preparing to bite down on an apple when the fire engulfed them. I can't tell you which one this is. I'm sorry. Paul admitted as he tried not to gag. But my head was still spinning from the strange change in the room. There was no way I had seen the same devastation earlier. I pulled my phone out and looked at the photographs, confirming that I hadn't simply been seeing things. This isn't natural. It wasn't arson. It wasn't an accident, either. In fact, I'm not sure what happened here, I told him. I let Paul look at the pictures I'd taken to judge his reaction. His face told me he was just as baffled and frightened as I was. I don't think we should stay here, he admitted. Oh, I disagree. Something unnatural is going on here, and that's exactly why we need to stay, I said as I put my equipment down on the couch. If we stay, it could reveal what caused all of this, I suggested. He seemed uncomfortable, but couldn't give me an excuse to leave, so we both started gathering samples of the burnt materials from the kitchen to test. It could reveal a lot about the fire, I told him as I checked the time. Strange, I thought. It felt as though no amount of time had passed since we arrived, yet I was exhausted. There was something affecting us mentally here as well. We kept gathering materials for another hour or so, as I felt my energy drain more and more. Before I knew what was happening, I felt the need to collapse on the couch and rest. Paul was complaining that he was feeling nauseous. I think it's these burnt bodies... I don't see how you can stomach any of this, he told me. I ignored him and closed my eyes, trying to relax as I let my mind unwind. Instead, it wasn't long before it was that I was unraveling. Paul grabbed my shoulders and shook me awake, his eyes confused. Hey, why are you asleep? He asked me as he pointed toward the window. Can't you hear that? It was the booming noise again, the one that made my entire body tremble. I stood up, my knees wobbling as I heard the ground around the tower start to crumble. What is that? I asked. Can't see anything. It's been going on for about ten minutes. I think it's going to tear us limb from limb, Paul shouted. I raced to the kitchen to get a better look, glowing eyes at the strange monster in the trees, making me want to run the other way. Instead, a swath of fire pushed itself into the tower, 
covering the counter next to me and making me leap back. The entire counter was covered in flames. Paul ran to grab an extinguisher and doused the small inferno as the monster bellowed and the firewatch shook. We need to get out of here, I said as I ran away from the kitchen. He was standing there at the counter, trying to protect what little was left. Instead, the flames covered his body the way ants attack an invasive predator. It made it look and seem like the fire had a mind of its own. Immediately, I ran from the tower, not bothering to look back. I could hear the gigantic noises from above, and I was sure that if I hesitated for even a moment, the entire firewatch would fall down on top of me. I didn't stop running until I made it to Paul's trailer. I found the radio and called Vince's station. Mayday! Mayday! This is Sentinel Peak requesting assistance! It was only static as I heard the creature moving about outside, trying to find me. I could hear the crackling of fire. Was it really going to burn down the whole forest just to exterminate me? I hunched down and waited for the woods to become silent again. Then I heard Vince in the radio. Sentinel Peak, do you copy? I grabbed the receiver and shouted, There's a fire! Send help right away! All rangers need evacuation immediately! The radio filled with static again, then died. Then I heard a knock at the door. Instinctively, I grabbed the nearest object to use as a weapon, a letter opener, and stood by the door to let the stranger in. To my shock and confusion, it was Paul. You're alive. How's that possible? I saw you burning up, I said. He didn't even show signs of scars on his body. He just looked at me as confused as me. Who the hell are you, he spat back. Is this some kind of joke? It's Nathan. I came here to inspect the fire. I kept my distance from him, wondering if he was even the same person I'd met the day before. Had the fire done something to him? Recreated him somehow? Paul mumbled something into his walkie-talkie, and then answered, What fire? We walked out of his trailer, and I looked up at Sentinel Peak. It appeared untouched by any boys at all. What in the world? I said as I started to run toward the stairs. There were no signs of ash or burns or anything that I'd seen there before. I heard Paul shouting at me as I raced to the top. I needed to see the inside of the fire watch. I needed to understand what was happening. As I stepped into the tower, I found myself looking at a brand new office, polished furniture, full pantry. It looked like nothing had been used. Paul stormed in behind me. Please explain to me what's going on here, he demanded. There was a fire here. You died. Maybe I died, too, I whispered. It was making me nauseous. I was seeing flashes of this other fire watch, where Paul was devoured by the inferno, and I was the one trapped in the bathroom. We were the ones who came here. We're trapped inside a nightmare of our own design. That creature, it's made us a part of the forest. Paul was reaching for his gun, clearly disturbed by everything I said. You need to leave now, he warned. Listen to me. We have to stop it before it happens again. But instead of listening, he fired a shot straight toward me. I ducked down, and the bullet hit the propane tank right behind me.
The explosion forced me toward Paul. Burst of fire consuming the front of the station. The entire fire watch was covered in an inferno within a mere moment. I found myself trying to grab a hold of the splintering wood as the tower crumbled. I was being swallowed up by the devastation, seeping into the very ground. I lost consciousness at some point, hardly able to move from the blast. The fire watch was gone, but something else was now rumbling toward me. It was the giant. I tried to move, to run, but instead I realized my body was trapped by the rubble of the the collapsed tower. The monster was reaching down its massive branches, digging up the debris and picking me up like a rag doll. Vines encircled my legs to prevent me from being able to escape as I was swung toward the giant's neck. Its glowing eyes were looking into my soul, and it opened its sharp, bark mouth to spread fire over my body. My skin was burning. My body felt paralyzed and I was becoming a part of this massive tree creature. As it happened, I saw forests being scorched in front of my eyes. I was taken on an astral journey through the body of this creature. I saw its kind, helplessly watching as man came and tore down the forest, fighting back and taking all they could. Sentinel Peak was one of the few places these creatures still called home, and then the forest rangers built a station. I saw how the tree had to watch on the sidelines as its own brothers and sisters were destroyed. I felt its pain every time they attacked the forest. It happened not once or even a dozen times, but thousands of times. And yet the creature could do nothing. By some miracle, perhaps magic, or sacred power of the land itself, the tree found the will to walk and to attack. The fire watch needed to be taken down. For these people had no purpose here. I recalled Paul's words about how useless it was, and now I could see why. These people were wasting resources that belonged to the forest. This was a fight that humanity would lose. I watched as the tree monster used its newfound strength to burn the tower down, the fragments of the earth sorting into different pieces. Each part of the scattered memories were the earth itself, broken and disjointed more than any mere words could convey. It was trying to put itself back together and frozen in time itself. And we were causing it more and more suffering. The giant said nothing, letting me experience all of these painful things as I was transported to the edge of the valley, watching as the destruction of the firewatch put itself back together again. Then the tree was silent and frozen, as if never a monster at all. And I'm as human as I've always been. I stood there for a moment, looking towards Sentinel Peak, trying to make sense of this strange, otherworldly experience I had. I had been given the gift of seeing the world through the eyes of nature, understanding its pain. I saw Paul walking toward me, waving his arms, and looking like a fool, another typical human destroying this blessed land. You must be the new recruit. Come on up, the place is waiting for you, he said. He guided me and told me all about the Firewatch and its long history. But I wasn't listening. I was looking at the place and how easy it would be to torch it. I waited for him to leave and thanked him, checking my phone and deleting the old photos. 
The past was removed. Nature healed itself the way it always does. I now can play a part and make sure it's completely cured. I doused the fire watch and gasoline and then looked toward the forest horizon as I set a match and let the fire begin to burn. I'm part of the desolation now. I'm the ash that smolders and lingers and returns to the earth. This place will be forgotten. It'll return to what it once was. But we of the forest, we will continue to remain. Forever a memory of the suffering we can endure. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Desolation at Cinema Peak by Kyle Harrison as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. No stranger he is to us and to his many fans on the internet. You'll also be able to see his story, One Among 30, in the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Anthology, Volume 1, available now in print on Amazon and soon in ebook and audiobook. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Kyle a kind word and let him know you heard about him on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Time keeps in slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I thought. Uh, what's 
going on here seems more like it's circling the drain. Well, I hope it all gets sorted out in the end, whatever that's going to be. Cal Harrison leaves the woods and takes us up into the sky for our next little chiller, where a seemingly average flight across the Atlantic comes with a film. But it's not just any film. And soon, it's not just any old flight either. Without further ado, I present to you, our in-flight movie is insane. This isn't really happening. This feels like a Twilight Zone episode. I think the plane I'm on is going to crash. Maybe it should, though. Maybe it'd be better if we all died rather than let whatever the hell's on board spread elsewhere. Uh, sorry. Let me explain. If I'm going to die, the least I can do is leave an accurate record for the authorities to find. Not like the black box will tell the full story. Less than seven hours ago, I boarded this flight alongside oh, probably 60 other passengers going from New York City to London. No, I'm not going to give you my info or anything like that. Listen, I don't want to be found. This flight needs to sink to the bottom of the Atlantic and never be seen again. Why? Because I think we've been attacked by a demon. Yeah, you heard right. It didn't start until we were already about an hour from New York City and the attendant was going through the usual safety measures. The man next to me, I think he said his name was Robert, was yawning and turning his phone on airplane mode. It reminded me to do the same, and as I did so, the attendant recommended I hook up to the Wi-Fi so I could still use it even with the airplane mode on. Plus, if you have Bluetooth... You can watch our in-flight movie from the comfort of your mobile device, she explained. She showed me a QR code and I went ahead and scanned it. I figured it would be better than scrolling through TikTok for the next six hours. A few seconds later, a link popped up with a warning about epilepsy and other conditions that would be affected by the film. And I put my AirPods on and leaned back to enjoy. I have to admit that I didn't really bother with checking to see what the film was about or even who starred in it, but it didn't take long before I was fully immersed in the movie. It was a schlocky B-movie with wannabe actors all dressed up like they were on their way to kill Satan himself at some stupid frat house. The music was loud, the script was obnoxious, but for some reason I just couldn't stop watching. Well, at first, anyway. About 15 minutes into the film, we had some turbulence which caused my phone to mess up, and I took the headphones off, signaling the attendant to complain. That was when I noticed that everyone else in the flight was also watching the campy classic movie, completely engrossed in how awful it was. There is one thing, however, that bothered me. It wasn't just that they were paying attention to the movie. It was noticeable immediately that the other passengers seemed to be mesmerized by it. Have you ever spotted a person that seemed to be daydreaming or dozing off? That was the look that was on the faces of everyone on this flight. Not a single person was even blinking. They were fixated on the strange movie that was playing across all of their screens. Is there a problem, sir? 
The attendant asked. I need to use the restroom, I said. Give it a few more moments. The captain is not allowed for any seatbelts to come off yet, she answered. I frowned, wondering why that was, as I sat there and waited, glancing toward the screen next to me. Robert's mouth was actually agape, as if he couldn't close it. It disturbed me, and I couldn't help but nudge him, the tad, to get him to snap out of it, like he was in a trance. But he didn't respond. Frustrated, I pulled the Bluetooth headphones off and snapped my fingers in his face. Robert looked at me for a moment, confused and lost. Where am I? he muttered. He wasn't joking. I could tell from his blank expression that he seemed to have no idea he was on a plane. What the hell were you watching, anyway? I asked as I looked at the screen. It didn't show the same campy movie I'd seen. This was far more disturbing, with imagery so shocking. I'm not even sure I feel comfortable recollecting it. But there was a lot of blood. And perhaps I should have mentioned this earlier, but I work in the medical field, and I could tell this was the real thing. Worse yet, the bodies and screen looked freshly killed, too. Then I saw this wild look in Rob's eyes as he unbuckled and moved toward the attendant. Sir, you need to sit. Robert butt-headed her hard, knocking the girl down as she went toward the main cafe area, seemingly searching for something. The other attendants were moving up to try and intercept him. My first thought was, maybe he was some kind of terrorist. I watched as it all happened in what seemed like slow motion. Robert grabbed a picture of water on the attendant's tray and smashed it on the ground, shards of glass going everywhere. Then he got down on all fours and grabbed up the sharpest pieces, swiping them to keep the flight staff from getting close. Sir, if you calm down, you can tell us what you need, one staff member muttered. Instead of providing a response, I watched as the crazed passenger slit his own throat with the broken glass, uttering some strange, indecipherable gargle as he fell to the ground and began to writhe. Abruptly, other passengers stopped their movies and got up to help. I heard a few women scream, and it seemed like the nightmare was over. But instead, I soon realized it was just getting started. Passengers that had gone to help instead turned on the attendants, bashing their heads into the floors and looking up the blood like rabid dogs. They'd abruptly shifted to animalistic personalities the moment they stopped watching the film, I realized. I unbuckled and grabbed my phone, heading toward the second class. I tried immediately to use the airplane phone to contact the surface, but all I got was more strange buzzing noises. It was like the entire plane had lost its mind. And as I entered second class, I soon realized it had to be the in-flight movie. Back here, they didn't have the Bluetooth connections and had to watch it on an overhead screen. I could hear strange noises from the movie and walked a few feet to get a glimpse of the scene. There was a strange red creature devouring the heart of a small child, ripping it out the way you might pick apart a cupcake, and it was chanting some evil spell, and all of the passengers were actually smiling. Some were laughing. For a moment, I, too was caught up in the hypnotic stare of the demon 
as I kept watching it attack the child. Then I felt someone push me down on the floor, and they covered my eyes before I could even feel the wind knocked out of my lungs. Listen to me. I'm one of the attendants. I have a password you can use to access my Reddit account and social media. Just post this everywhere you can and send help. A voice whispered in my ears. I felt something being pushed into the palm of my hand, and then I was shoved toward third class, away from the movie and toward the only normal people left in the flight. I have considered walking back toward the strange phenomena. Then I saw the movie was coming to the end, and the passengers were now looking toward each other with predatory eyes. This was about to be a bloodbath, I realized. Immediately, they jumped up from their seats, clawing at each other and snarling. I closed the curtain and demanded that the attendant help me block the entrance. What is happening? I screamed. You think I know? They asked as they did what they could with the cart to keep the cannibalistic passengers at bay. But I knew that would only hold them for a short moment. We need to land, I told them. We can't. We're far enough across the Atlantic that turning around would be impossible. We have to keep going, they said. Find somewhere isolated. Somewhere with no people. Tell the captain we have a crisis, they said. I can call the cockpit, but it's sealed. They're safe there. I'm not sure if they'll believe you, they admitted as they reached for the phone. Some part of me felt like they were stalling, as if the crew were somehow involved in whatever the hell was going on. So I didn't wait to see what the result was. Instead, I pushed my way down the aisle to the bathroom. Locking myself inside, I used the passcode I'd been given and got online to see if there were any news anywhere about this strange occurrence. I realized immediately, not only was there no report, but worse yet, there didn't seem to be any more record of our flight leaving New York City. It was like we had been erased from existence. I felt that sinking feeling in my chest as I looked in the bathroom mirror. It looked like an evil version of myself was smiling back. I smashed it up and placed my foot on the door as I heard the crazed passengers rip each other limb from limb. About ten minutes later, I heard on the intercom that the captain was going to make an emergency landing, but that was soon replaced by the demonic noises as well. The entire plane is filled with the hum of their satanic songs. I think. I think this is how I will die. I have to get to the cockpit. I have to try and crash the plane before it reaches London. Otherwise, this curse is going to spread. Wish me luck. I'm finishing this and logging off now. I hope you enjoyed Our In-Flight Movie is Insane by Kyle Harrison as performed by yours truly. If you have enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured authors can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. If you've never heard of Mr. Harrison, well, then you're probably new to the program. He has a voluminous collection just waiting for you to enjoy it on Reddit 
And beyond that, be sure to check out his entry in the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Anthology, Volume 1, out now on Amazon. As a reminder, if you decide to give tonight's talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about them on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Kyle would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month. Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, Follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at 
Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>